0: Welcome to episode 3 of the LRUG podcast. I'm joined in this episode by Murray Steele. Murray is a Ruby developer at London's Unboxed Consulting. He organises LRUG meetings, as well as the popular Ruby Manor conference. At the June LRUG, he gave a talk on the first Ruby code he ever wrote. Murray, welcome to the show. (laughs) Chris. It's nice to have you here. Um, So in your LRub talk, you talked about the first Ruby that you ever wrote. Yeah. yeah. So what was that, and what did it do? It's a mailing list processor with a web
1: front end. And the reason we built it was we had a mailing list that we organized when we left university. So me and kind of like 10 other classmates to keep in touch as we all kind of went our separate ways. And We started out on eGroups, which became Yahoo Groups, and eventually the Yahoo Groups service deteriorated where... We weren't getting mails. They were taking forever to turn up. So we decided to just write our own one. And so that, that's kind of what it is and what it does. It reads in emails, sends them back out to all the users and archives them onto the web.
0: So is it still running now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been running,
1: um, since kind of, since we wrote it. So that weekend in 2003. So about seven, seven years now it's been running. Yeah, like the only major changes are kind of in two thousand and four we added the ability to read the archive of emails that we were saving to the disk. And then everything else has just been because our host has changed something, we've needed to change something. Right. So they recently moved us they're moving all the all our shared hosting to sixty four bit servers. So they recently moved us to a sixty four bit server and we had to go and like recompile a bunch of gems that we we'd installed because they
0: no longer work. Mm-hmm. Um and so this, like this thing has a web front end, so people can go and look at the archives. But yeah, I guess it's pre Rails, right? Yeah, it, it's pre
1: Rails because Rails came out two thousand. I think the first version of Rails came out in two thousand four, two thousand five. So yeah, back in two thousand three, kind of when we started it, web development in Ruby was quite a bit behind kind of what I was used to as a Java programmer with like even Struts and JSP. Like it was it was really low level. It was just kind of CGI, mm-hmm. just like a CGI wrapper, and you had to integrate everything kind of really, really kind of close to the metal.
0: So, you were a Java programmer, and then you, I guess, you picked up Ruby. You thought this looks like a fun thing to play with, this is a good project to try it out on.
1: Well, it's more so the, the guy that I wrote it with, James Adam, he was doing his PhD at the time, and he'd ditched, he started with Java and then he moved to Python, and he ditched both of them in favor of Ruby, and so he's one of the guys on this mailing list, and he suggested, let's do it in Ruby, and for no other reason than, hey, why not Why not learn something new? We decided to kind of, yeah, let's do it in Ruby. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my intro. I hadn't, I'd hadn't, i looked at Ruby a bit when James had been on about it, but you know, my day job at the time was Java, or
0: I was doing a lot of uh,
1: Python-based GUI development as well.
0: So you had to dig out this old code for, for the talk, I guess, or mm-hmm. I'll look at it again. Yeah. Is there anything that Surprised you about it? be you kind of pleased with yourself, or do you look at that now and go, oh, "You know, I'm glad I don't like code like that anymore." A, a bits of it certainly are.
1: I mean, so there's 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 a lot of weird things in it. One of the things I I only mentioned as like a throwaway comment in the talk is there's no symbols in it whatsoever. Just don't use symbols. And there's lots of places that I'm looking at going. If I was doing this now, I would totally use symbols there, just like for keys and hashes. Um, Hash based params to a method or something, but we're just not using symbols. And I was chatting with James after I did the talk, and we both kind of went, Yeah, like we just didn't know
0: about symbols. I find, especially with Ruby, there's such a, a glut of information on the internet, and you can look at people saying, You should do it this way, you should do it that way. Yeah. And you're tempted to pick one and go, Right, I'm going to use RSpec for this project because this is what all the cool kids are using or something. I think looking back at your old code, then Definitely you sort of realize, well, there is some method to this because just my experience has taught me that there's better ways of doing things. And I think looking yeah. at old code does sort of validate that, doesn't it? Definitely. Like Looking back on it, it was kind of good to see,
1: like, see how far I'd come. I mean, other things that were weird about it is, okay, it was seven years ago, but I wasn't a bad programmer seven years ago. I still, you know, I like to think I've got better, but I don't like to think I was that bad. But there's stuff in it that, I presume because I was learning Ruby, I'd forgotten how to like, code or design things properly. Like, there's a lot of, kind of copy and paste coding going on and not really abstracting things out into methods or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because you know I was using Java where that stuff's like a right click in your editor or I was doing it in Python because I was learning Ruby, I didn't do those things. But also, it was a, the original version of it wrote it in a weekend. So it was kind of like a, a bit of like the hack day spirit where you just get it done. Mm-hmm. But we've also been running it for seven years. and made fixes, and we've never kind of we've never kind of gone
0: back and said, right, let's redo and fix everything that's really be bad. Because do you think there's value in doing that? So you say it works. I think that's a good argument for sometimes not rewriting things. Well, yeah. So when I when I was worki-
1: when I was actually working with James a couple of years ago. We did kind of get together over a, a, a few other evenings and weekends, and we were gonna we were gonna rewrite it and write it properly and do it kind of pairing and test driven, and we bought domains because we were like, yes, we're gonna launch it. We just partly we got lost in what we were trying to build because we wanted to build something that wasn't just a replacement for Mailman. We wanted to build something that was interesting, exciting. Um, so we had these strange ideas about kind of. Conversation that looking at what Google Wave is, kind of some of those ideas we were trying to have like, how do you join a conversation but then leave it but still be able to read it and
0: things like that? That you know, we were never going to solve the two of us in a pub. No. <laughs> so it's something that email could be the transport mechanism for, but email yeah. clients are not great at doing yes, it exactly.
1: You're like, your email client is not great at. The kind of things that Google Wave does. Yeah. Um, what we were trying to do was just do all that through email and email clients and maybe RSS, mm-hmm. but we just got lost in kind of our requirements and um, not really building it. And apparently that's kind of my fault because um, I, I, there's no real reason to no real reason to build it other than just build it just because. Whereas the first one we built it because we wanted we wanted it. Yeah. The second one it worked. Why would we replace it?
0: Yeah sort of replace it and see if it you can make it into something that other people would want but, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're not
1: building it for yourself you're not building it for anyone yeah. and then
0: and you already have built it yeah. For yourself, so yeah. yeah but you were working doing Java professionally at the time so so when did you get your first sort of paid Ruby gig um,
1: I joined Aegis Media with um, James and Sean will and uh, Tom Ward and John Lim in 2005 I think Probably August 2005, and that was full-time Ruby, and you know I could have I could have for my talk I probably could have picked the first commercial Ruby I wrote and done exactly the same talk with the <laughs> okay. most, mostly the same kind of why did I do this This is weird.
0: It's because I had my Java head on,
1: kind of anecdotes, but yeah.
0: So so you were working then in Ruby with Aegis. but so now we have Elrug and we have uh, m- regular meetings and we have the podcast and we have all these things and so so how did you go from someone who you know came came from java to ruby and now you're sort of very heavily involved with the london ruby community is it just a kind of natural progression or something you set out to do it's certainly not something i set out to do um it did kind of fall in my
1: lap like um the elrog was going certainly david black talks about going to some of the first LROG meetings, and I think um, that's kind of like 2001 ish, 2002 ish, um, where there was probably like three or four guys sitting in a pub. um, Mm -hmm. And I think it stopped for a bit. And then I started going kind of in 2005 when I joined Aegis and thought, hey, I could could do with learning, let's go to LROG and learn. At that point, they'd been going for a while, and they just got deal with skills matter where they'll give us the venue and let us host it there mm-hmm. so yeah it just kind of turned up and I was chatting the reason that I'm running it now is Rob McKinnon who was running it was going back to New Zealand for a couple of months and he needed someone to organise the January and February meetings of 2006 and so I suggested for the January meeting we should do a pub quiz that would be fun and so, Rob said, okay, do a pub quiz for the January meeting. And, he's, and he also said, well, you're right, you could do the February one as well because I won't be back. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then when he did come back, he's like, I hear they went, wow, well, why don't you just keep doing it? Okay. And so, like,
0: four years later, <laughs> here I am. Yeah. I mean, it, it always surprises me, actually, how how well-attended Outlook is. And I think... Also, when I first moved to London, the idea of getting involved in Ruby community, coming to these things from outside of London seeing as you know maybe at times a hundred people in the room maybe are mm-hmm. all interested in Ruby but it seems like the interest has sustained even though people yeah. are you know now we've got people are getting interested into sort other of things Ruby's maybe not quite the you know the vogue thing anymore it's what what's the trick how does it how do you keep people coming back is um, it in-
1: I think there's a core group of people in London who are into like into Ruby, but that's not the main reason they turn up because we don't just have talks about just Ruby. They're, what I'm kind of trying to get people to talk, there's I'm trying to get them to talk about something that's interesting that hopefully there's some kind of hook for Ruby. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of interest right now in kind of NoSQL and stuff like that, and so it's an easy it's an easy hook to get people into to talk about. Just say, "Is there a Ruby driver for this thing?" Okay, come and talk about this thing and mention the Ruby driver. Yeah, and I think Rails has been a, a you know a blessing and a curse in that it brought a lot of people to the group. So when we had a lot of problems with the venue and the the dates and stuff like that, it was because the group was too big for Skills Manager to host it internally. Um, and that was because of Rails. Like so that's the curse part of it. But because Rails has brought all these people, we're all kind of building mostly we're all building kind of web tools. And um, Ruby is just one part of that. So we can have talks about process, because Rails push kind of test driven development. So we can have talks about process and we're all into that. We can have talks about kind of front-end stuff because we're building web apps. So a talk about JavaScript is not actually that out of place mm-hmm. in the iRogue in the group because we're probably, most of us, doing something around that. And we can also have talks about kind of back-end and architecture and deployment and and all these things that come as part of
0: building a, a web application. One of the things that interested me about iRogue is that I think because Ruby is, for a lot of people, it's still a, a hobby language almost. It seems to attract people who are interested in languages. We've had talks on, you know, writing an interpreter, writing a scheme interpreter. Yeah, Ruby, yeah. I remember, which is a you know a great talk. Yeah, and it's like, you know, why? I don't know why those things are so interesting to to the Ruby community, but it's great that yeah, it's not just Ruby. I think part of it is because Ruby
1: is not a sort of mainstream language I and mean, one of the reasons you'd be into Ruby is because it's certainly not because it's fast and it's certainly not because it's well supported and it's certainly not because it has loads of killer libraries it's because of the language itself and if you're into a programming language because of the language you're more likely to be interested in other things and kind of more esoteric other languages that you might want to hear about or just Fun things that you can do with these languages, and I think that's another kind of important thing about Erlang is there are people who are into Ruby, but also into loads of other weird things, and they marry the two together and come and give us like a 15-20 minute talk about that, and they're always really well seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, part of the motivation for me starting the podcast was capturing some of what I call like the pub talk after Erlang. You know, yeah, we all, we all yeah. go down, we have a beer, we learn. You know, we meet new people and find out what their backgrounds are, and it's sort of capturing a little bit of the story behind the the people who give the talks. And and I think one of the aims of your talk about your first code was to sort of say to people there's nothing intimidating about talking about what you do or your code, or there shouldn't be, you know, don't be ashamed of it or something. You know, it's it's kind of drawing the in, and I think showing the sort of human side of... Yeah,
1: that was definitely kind of my main motivation because I don't think anyone came to hear about how to build a mailing list with a web front end using seven year old technology (laughs) it was definitely about showing off code that isn't I don't think is particularly good and I'm not proud of and saying if I can get up and do this and I'm you know I've been here for I've been doing this for four years and I'm happy to get up and show you that I can't actually code very well maybe you guys everyone else can do the same Mm -hmm. that's definitely one of my motivations for doing that talk
0: And I think one thing that you've tried to do the last couple of years, you and and James and a few of us, is organize the conference. So Ruby Manor, I'm calling it an unconference, but I think maybe, how would you describe Ruby Manor? It's not an an unconference, but it's it's true to say it's
1: not a traditional conference as well. Um, So the history, like the, the reason we do Ruby Manor is I went to my first or I suppose it would have been my second year, because so I went to the RailsConf in London that everyone forgets about, because um, I don't know why. Everyone forgets that it happened, because they talked about Rails Underground being the first major Rails conference in London. And it was RailsConf London two years before it. And then I went to RailsConf uh, Portland in 2005 as well. So I'd gone to these two kind of conferences. And what I took away from the conference was there were all these big-name speakers. Um, I didn't really know why I should go and see some of them. I didn't know really what they were going to talk about other than the, the talk title and if you were lucky and abstract. And so you kind of had to choose a lot of time based on kind of cult of celebrity. It's like, oh, he's famous. I'll go and see him. And there's a classic talk of loads of people who went to RailsConf Berlin, the first RailsConf Berlin, went to see Jay Fields do a talk about the presenter pattern, where he got up and said, when I when I pitched the talk, I thought presenter pattern was great. I now don't. And then spent 10 minutes explaining why he didn't think it was great, and then sat down. So it was kind of an un-talk.
0: Right. But everyone had gone because it
1: was Jay Fields. Yeah, everyone had gone because it was Jay Fields. And on the promise of hearing about this, he didn't explain his story into, like I thought it was great because of this, and here's why it's not. He just kind of got up and said, I'm not really giving this talk, um, and this is—it's not a good idea. They didn't really explain why. Like, this is anecdotal, so I didn't see it, and I don't think it was video. So, with Ruby, Ruby Manor, you kind of that—that was my experience of not really knowing who to see you, why, and also having a lot of fun, kind of in the what they call the corridor track, just meeting people and chatting and interesting stuff like that, but. Okay, I didn't pay for these conferences. My company paid. But they still paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it just feels I shouldn't necessarily have to pay a lot of money to go and hang out in a corridor with some people that I'd happily go and hang out in a corridor with for free. Yeah. <laughs> so after that conference, me and James and Tom Ward and Dan Webb talked about putting on a cheap conference back in the UK. And for whatever this was 2005. For whatever reason, it took us forever to sort of organize that. And Dan Dan and Tom kind of both fell by the wayside. Um, Although I think they both came to the first one. And we just wanted to put on a conference that was cheap because we didn't really think there was all this stuff that you go to a conference, you get lunch. I can buy my own lunch. Hmm. You get T-shirts, you get printed programs, you get all this stuff that you don't need. Okay, people say, oh, we've got sponsors, so we don't need... We're not you're not paying for the T shirt. Yeah, but if you didn't give out the T shirt, the sponsorship money could go to funding the conference. Ruby Manor was a hundred ish people and things like RailsConf conference thousands of people. Yeah. So we're not comparing them. Like we, if we tried to do Ruby Manor for a thousand people, it wouldn't be ten pounds. Now, you know.
0: And but I mean, do think and one of the, the, the other distinctive things about Ruby Manor is the, the way that talks are selected, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so on Ruby Manor It's
1: single-track. I'm a big fan of single-track conferences because everyone who goes has the same experience, which makes the conversations in the pub or the corridor easier because you don't say, hey, did you see so-and-so? And And they go, no, I saw so-and-so instead. So everyone has the same experience. That's important. But also we wanted the talk selection to be much more interactive. So I don't know how successful it's been, but the process is you suggest I want to give a talk about X or you say, I want to hear a talk about why. And then this all happens on a mailing list, and we get community involvement to say, yes, I'd like to hear those talks, and if you talk about this, would you cover these points? And we're kind of hoping that what you'd get out of that is you know exactly what every talk's going to be about, and the speaker knows what things they should cover and what the room is going to be interested in. So, like, I I don't do a lot of... um, talks myself, but I'm always worried that I'm not hitting the right notes for the room. Because when you write them yourself, you just, without any you know, influence or anyone saying why, what should you cover, you're just not sure
0: if the room's going to be interested. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly my experience when I gave my Ruby Manon talk last year, it's the mailing this thread almost wrote the outline of the talk because oh, I want yeah. talk. Yeah. So, wanted, so you can answer if it, <laughs> if it was good or not. <laughs> well, the conference was great. I mean, my talk was, uh, yeah, it was a bit esoteric, but it's, I think there was enough people in the room that I, when I stood up in front of those people, I had the confidence that, well, at least seven people are interested because yeah. they're taking the time out of contributing. So that gives you a little bit of confidence that you're not just... Boring the hands off everybody in the room. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, and then hopefully you get you know you get something out of it, you know, on both sides. I mean, I was talking to James, after, James Adams, after the last Elrug, and we'd had a couple of beers. So I don't know how, uh, <laughs> was, but he, he seemed a little bit like he was getting a bit of the feeling that even Ruby Mano was too conventional, and he was after doing some. And he said, "Well, oh, the best thing that could happen if somebody just." popped up on a mailing list thread and said, right, I'm running Ruby Manor this year. And yeah, you know, yeah, that kind of community involvement. And I can kind of understand that argument. But at the same time, there's some curation, right? I mean, you're kind of some stewardship or something that's there's, yeah, it's there's added, added. It's added some of your,
1: your team's
0: personality to it, which kind of makes it... There's definitely stewardship. There's not
1: curation. Like, we... The, I think both years we we decided kind of there were a couple of talk suggestions that we decided actually these I, one of them was really popular one of them not so much and we decided these aren't talks for Ruby Manor they're interesting talks but they're not talks for Ruby Manor because they're not about Ruby you know and there's other places that those talks could be given yeah so there is a, a tiny element of curation but we do leave it to the community to kind of vote and choose the talks that they want to hear. So if there's a talk that I don't want to hear, I can't ethically, as someone involved in Ruby Manor, I can't ethically say, you know, we're not sure about that one if enough people have said they want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So there is, I suppose our role in organizing Ruby Manor, the way we see it, is just to its logistics. Make sure there's a room for it to happen in make sure there's a projector make sure there's mics make sure we've covered all those costs and just kind of garden the community so we do like we do like weekly roundups of the mailing list yeah and we we blogged them last year so that if people weren't on the mailing list they could still follow along and that that's it but in terms of selecting talks or anything like that we we you know Bung all the talks into a spreadsheet, put all the votes against them, and order it, mm-hmm. and then work out timings. And then the ones that fit in the timings are the ones that go. Yeah. Based on kind of popularity. So. Do you think that. you?
0: Do you think you'll do another one? Another Ruby man
1: uh, We haven't talked about it because um, uh, so after the first one, the last thing I wanted to do was ever run another conference. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I did it a second time because it's it's actually hard work. You know, it, it's a lot of hard work to find, like, find a venue, yeah. um, to hire cameras. Um, and then last year, James edited, edited together all the videos that the presenters let us. And this year, I did it. Yes, yeah. That sounded like a big job. It was like the first one I did took forever because I was trying to learn Final Cut Pro at the same time. But by the time I did the last one, I was actually, I, the first one took me a week, I think. So I was trying to learn it, and yeah, you know, I was probably doing other stuff at the same time. But the last one I did in an evening, because I, I had my routine down, and I knew what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, there's a lot of effort in it. I, I'll probably talk with James and see, like, does he want to do it again? Um, do we want to change it? Because like you said, the original idea for Ruby Manor was a lot, it was a bit more unconventional. There was going to be we wanted sort of two rooms, one for talks and one for like people to just hang out and hack and and, and stuff. We'll,
0: sort of half hack day, half. Yeah. Conference. The problem with that
1: is if you get two rooms, you need it's effectively twice the price. Yeah. Because you need it yeah. and you, half the audience for each of them. You know, you yeah. Have, you have
0: the two track problem.
1: Exactly. So, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, but if if someone else wanted wants wants to get involved. Well, yeah. I mean, don't feel they need to ask James and I's permission. Use the use the opportunity to speak to the millions of listeners. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anyone else wants to help run a Ruby Manor, or not even help, just run a Ruby Manor. I think the only thing James and I would want is is an agreement that you would run it along the same the original ethos. Yeah. And not not curate, just yeah.
0: make make happen. And not overcharge. And yeah, yeah.
1: You know. Like, yeah. Because we want to prove that you can put on conferences yourself cheaply, for enough, cheap enough that people will come, and you don't need sponsorship. Because you know, sponsors then want to put their logos on things, and if they want to put their logos on things, there has to be things for them to put their logos on, which means T-shirts or programs or banners or whatever, and that adds to the cost. Yeah, they want some visibility of the, yeah. You know, that. Yeah, yeah, for their money. Yeah, it makes sense. But that's that's just kind of James and I's feelings on that. If someone else was to run Ruby Manor, the no sponsorship thing wouldn't be a deal breaker for letting you do that. Mm-hmm. The only the only deal breaker for me, for me would be that if you want to run a Ruby Manor, you have to do it in the kind of all you do is make make it happen. You don't choose the talks. Yeah, that's that's the core of Ruby Manor for me. James may feel differently. But I don't know. But that's the core of it for me.
0: you've been listening to the Elruk podcast. Thanks, as always, to our hosts, Skills Matter. If you'd like to see a video of Murray's talk, you can find it on skillsmatter.com, and I'll link to it from the show notes at elrug.org. If you've enjoyed the podcast, consider rating the show on iTunes. See you next time.